So as you can imagine, I was not expecting to be up here today preaching, nor was I expecting to have to ask Brad, so what was your sermon title? Because <laughs> all the bulletins are already printed. But in God's amazing way, as soon as I got the text saying, it looks like I could be here for three days, I immediately thought, all right, Lord, what am I preaching on? And I got a, a verse that came right to mind. So when I asked him what his sermon title was, and he told me it was Responding to Doubt, I thought, okay, apparently God knew what the message was supposed to be because that was exactly the scripture that I got. But I really want to take today and challenge what we know about ourselves and what we think we know about ourselves. Throughout this sermon, you're going to hear me say things like, and it immediately brought to mind a verse, because what I have found is that when I am questioning things and when I don't know what I am supposed to do, if I'm quiet for that moment, God will bring me a verse. The reason that we list memory verses in the bulletin is really so that we have the opportunity to take verses and hide them in our hearts. Because God brings those verses back to memory in those times that we need them. So he did that often during this particular sermon. 1 Corinthians 13, we know it as the love chapter. And it tells us all about how we are supposed to love one another. And it shows us how infallible God is and how utterly fallible we are as humans. But in verse 12, it says, for now we see in a mirror, but dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. The NIV says, then I shall know fully just as I am known fully. That word fully in that particular spot is interesting to me. Then I shall know all of the things, and to me it always amazes me. That means I'm going to know all the things that God has in store for me, all the things that I have questioned. But yet if I read on, in context it says, just as I am also known. God is the only human being, the only being, he's not human, but he is the only being who knows me fully. The truth is, I don't know me fully. I see myself dimly. I don't always know my motivations. Sometimes they come from unconscious things that have happened to me in the past that I don't even know are directing my words or thoughts or patterns. I don't remember everything that has happened to me in the past. I have glimpses of things from when I was younger or from when I was in college, but I don't remember everything. I see myself dimly, but then I will know myself fully. I believe there's a reason that I only know myself in part, and that is because God created me to be a spiritual being. I only know myself as a human being, and I look at myself as a human being, but God created me to be a spirit he created me in his likeness, and he is spirit and truth. So someday I will know myself fully. I'd like you to keep that in mind as we talk about today's topic, which is 
doubt. Anybody ever had moments of doubt? Sometimes you doubt yourself. Sometimes you doubt your faith. How many people have ever doubted God himself? This is the scripture that God brought to mind to me immediately when I knew that I would be preaching. It's in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, in all, unstable in all his ways. What a powerful picture. The waves being tossed every which direction by the wind. When we go to God and ask in doubt, that's what we are, being tossed about by every wind. So are you feeling better now about the fact that sometimes you have doubts? The Bible says that we are a double-minded man, unstable in all our ways, and that we should not expect anything of the Lord. Perhaps if we look at this in context, it will help us understand doubt a little bit better. So let's go back to the top of James. James 1 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It starts off, James, he identifies himself. He's a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the brother of Jesus. They think that he was the oldest brother, so he was next in line just after Jesus. Imagine your brother coming to you and saying, I'm the Messiah. Really? That's what happened to James. I take a lot of heart in the fact that I'm sure James had a lot of doubts about that one, right? And yet he went on to write what is considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. So something happened to him to help him to understand who Jesus was. He goes on to say, to the 12 tribes scattered, those were Jewish believers. He's talking to the 12 Tribes, the Jewish tribes. But these are believers. So he's not talking to non-Christians who have doubts. He is talking to believers who have doubts. One of my favorite verses is, Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. 
Okay. When I was in high school, I went on a bike trip from Richmond, Virginia to Kissimmee, Florida. One of the things that our youth pastor challenged us was to memorize the first book of James. So at 17, I memorized the first chapter of the book of James. And this count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds has found itself surfacing in my life a lot since I was 17. I don't know that I have mastered how to be joyful when I face trials of many kinds. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, it is not the absence of suffering, but the response to suffering that makes Christians unique. Believers are not exempt from trials in life, but we can be exempt from failure in those trials. How do we succeed in our trials? James indicates that it is in our attitude as we face those trials. We are to count it joy when our faith is tested because it produces patience. And patience continues on its work until we are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I can still find areas of my life that are lacking the complete and perfect will of God. I can relate to Peter And I hear Jesus saying these words to me personally often throughout my life. In Matthew 14, 31, when Peter was attempting to walk on the water and just as he was getting close, he began to sink. And Jesus said to him, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Happens to me regularly. That, oh, you of little faith, appears again in the Mount of Allah, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. Jesus said, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? I look around at things that God has created and I am in awe of the mind and the the creativity and the beauty of what he has done in this world. And yet this verse comes to my mind often to remind me I am infinitely more precious to him than the birds or the flowers or the trees. You are infinitely more precious to God. And yet he takes care of nature in a way that is brilliant and awesome. How much more will he take care of me? And yet, there are so many times when I can hear him say, Oh, you of little faith. It brings to my mind Romans 8.38. I have to tell myself this verse often. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate me from the love 
of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I have to tell myself that often because there are many times I think, well, who am I? But you know what does separate me? Doubt. And it's not because God's moves. It's because I pull back. Because of my own personal doubts and my own personal failings, I doubt and I pull back. God never moves. But what separates me is my doubt. I do not doubt that God is able. In every situation in my life, everything that I have have ever faced, I have never doubted that God is able. But I have doubted whether or not he will on my behalf. Who am I that God would do anything for me? I am no one very significant. James tells me that I am double-minded in all of my ways because I doubt that the God of the universe would care enough to touch me and intervene on my behalf. Why do I doubt? Because I'm human. I see myself in my humanness and in all of my faults. While I may not know myself fully, I know my faults. And I can give you lists and lists of them. I doubt because of who I am. I take my eyes off of who he is and I look at who I am. God does not move on my behalf because of who I am. God moves on my behalf because of who he is. He created me. He is love and truth. He is my creator. He is my redeemer and my savior. He is the answer to every question that I have. I can stand firm in my faith because of who he is not because of who I am. With that in mind, let's go back and look at James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. I study most often in the New King James Version, but for this particular verse, I wanted to take a look at it in the NIV because I like the wording that it says. So let's take a look at it in NIV. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously and without finding fault, and it will be given you. God doesn't look at our faults. He doesn't look at us in our human stature because we have been covered by the blood of Christ. He looks at us in our spiritual nature, but we don't. He sees the spiritual side of who we are. He is looking to give us wisdom because we're asking, because we're coming to him, because we are willing to rely on him. He doesn't look at our faults. He's not keeping a list. Well, you know, you said this two days ago. I'm not sure that I deserve, that you deserve for me to give you some wisdom. It's not what he's doing. He's looking for us to come to him and to recognize that he is the answer. How does it feel 
when human children come to parents and ask for their input or their wisdom. We're just getting into that stage with our kids, they're 21 and 25, where they are asking for our input, and it feels so good. Like, wait a minute, we've moved out of the stage where they know everything and we know nothing, and now they're asking us for input. It feels good. How much more does it please God when we go to him and say, I need wisdom in this. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need to know what you would have me do in this situation. That's what he's looking for. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God doesn't say, come and ask. He says, come boldly before the throne. Why do we have that boldness? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is because of who he is, not because of who we are. So if we take a look at that James chapter 1, verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he that doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything of the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Why does God want us to come and not doubt? Because he wants us to have our eyes on him and not on us. God is not looking for us to know all of the answers. He is looking for us to know that he is the answer. He wants, to ask, he wants us to come asking for wisdom, knowing that he will answer us and not doubting, but with confidence, boldly, knowing that he will be there on our behalf. Does that seem pretty easy to do? Should be, right? And yet we're human. Doubts continue to plague us. And boldness before the God of the universe is a difficult thing to think about. So what is the answer to that complex question? It is focusing on God and who he is and not ourselves. But how do we do that? The answer is simple. Worship. If you understand who God is, you cannot help but worship him. And when we worship, we take all of the focus off of ourselves and we put all of the focus on him. <coughs> Excuse me. It is how we get ourselves from being human to being spiritual. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are His 
We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. How can we help but worship God when we understand who we are to him? We are his people and he is our God. Take a look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. This tells us why we have the ability to stand boldly before God. It starts off talking about the Old Testament and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And then we move to the New Covenant. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You see that word perfected? Do you remember that word back in James? When it said we would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? It's clear that Jesus has perfected us. It is not of our doing. It is of his. We do not have to be perfect because Jesus has perfected us. Again, we doubt because of who we are, and yet we should have confidence because of who he is. Jesus, the perfect lamb, was slain for our sins. He paid the full price for all of us so that anyone who believed in him would have everlasting life. But more than that, we would be heirs with him. And we would have the right to be called the children of God. How can we help but worship God? In John, Jesus is speaking, chapter 4, verse 23, and it says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So when we find ourselves plagued with doubts, what do we do? We worship him. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When we quiet our spirit, when we are still and know that he is God, our spirit's response is to worship who he is. And when we worship who he is in spirit, we are worshiping in spirit and truth. It is what Jesus says that God is looking for his people to do. We are human. We will have doubts. And yet, if we will quiet ourselves, stop our minds from trying to solve everything, and take that time to worship God, we will stop seeing ourselves as the imperfect humans that we are, and we will see God for the perfection of who he is. It is nothing about who we are. It is only about who he is.
Lord God, I ask today that you will plant that deeply into our hearts, that we would know who you are, that you would give us the ability to stop seeing ourselves and comparing ourselves to you, but to see who you are and allow you to do the work necessary to make us more like you. It is in your hands. We place ourselves in your hands. We ask that when we do have doubt, you will remind us to simply be still and know that you are God, to worship you for who you are. I pray, Father, that you will plant that deeply in our hearts and give us an understanding and a revelation of what you desire for us to do from this day forward in Jesus' name.